James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. This is possible when there are tough moments in your life. But what if pain and suffering are part of your life every day, from the moment you wake up? How does faith in Christ make a difference? Rebecca Howe has suffered for decades with an incurable disease. But this has not left her defeated, but victorious through Christ. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In a stirring interview with Pat, we will learn how Rebecca Howe has learned to overcome a life of suffering through the truth and power of Christ. Now, let's begin with part one of this two-part interview. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, on our shows, we have addressed the issue of pain and suffering several times with some of the top Christian scholars from around the world. And we often answer the philosophical question, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does God allow his people to suffer? Well, today... We want to hear from a woman who has experienced a lot of pain and suffering and how she, as a disciple of Christ, faces the challenge each day. So here on a practical level, when God's people endure times and it can be extended times of pain and suffering, how does our faith in Christ make a difference each day? So we want to welcome Rebecca Howe to our show. Rebecca is the wife of one of our frequent guests, Dr. Richard Howe, Professor of Philosophy at Southern Evangelical Seminary, and Dr. Howe was even one of our featured speakers at our apologetics conference here in Hawaii. So, Rebecca, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yes, we've had your husband several times, but this is the first time uh, we've got you on our show. I hope I will compliment everything he said. (laughs) I'm sure you will. Well, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into your life story here. Sure. Well, at this point in life, I actually minister alongside my husband, Richard, and am able to travel with him on as he travels the world speaking on apologetics and defending the historic Christian faith. But that is a relatively new possibility for me. About six or seven years ago, my doctors came to me and told me that I had to medically retire. I had a terrific career going in the information technology field, and they told me my body had given up and I could no longer work. So I was able to change my focus, um, and now I get to work alongside Richard and travel with him. Yes, and this is uh, the crux of our story that we're going to be talking about, but tell us about your early years growing up. You're the daughter of missionaries there in the Amazon or in uh, Mexico. Tell us about that. Yes, I had the amazing childhood that I had because my parents were missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I grew up all the way through high school, um, from the time I was a child all the way through high school, in Brazil. And part of that time was spent living in the heart of the Amazon jungle, in a house on stilts, just like people might imagine it. Uh, No electricity at night, lots of jungle critters around, a place of complete beauty. I loved it. And I think it was an idyllic childhood. And then the later years, still in Brazil, we lived in the city of Brasilia. So I went from the Amazon jungle to what at the time was the most modern city in the world architecturally, and it was a little bit of a culture shock. But then I spent the last six years of my schooling down there 
going to school with people from all over the world. So it was in addition to growing up in an international environment, now I was suddenly going to school with diplomats from all over the world. So it was a wonderful, wonderful setting to really understand different cultures and different peoples and different languages. Yes, and then you graduated from high school there and came to the United States for college. Is that right? Yes, I did. I went to university here in the U.S. And then that's when you began to notice something that was unique about your physical body. Tell us about how you began to learn that something not right was going on. Right. So, well, I was in my second year of university, and I injured my knee, and it was not the first time, and I had had surgery on my knee. Even when I was a youngster still in Brazil, my folks had flown me back to the United States to have surgery because my knee wasn't working quite the way it should. And so they did a major surgery when I was in university. I went back to school, went ahead and finished my undergraduate degree. And I was very, very involved in my church music program playing handbells. And one night I was playing handbells and my fingers moved in the direction that fingers should not move. And they stayed stuck in that position. And so at that point, I went to the orthopedic surgeon I knew very well, and he took one look and he said, no worries, we can fix this. But Rebecca, there's something fundamentally wrong because at this point I'd had very many knee surgeries and now my fingers were giving way. And over the course of several years and a lot of, a lot of surgeries, they retraced my, my medical history back to the time I was very, very little and were able to say, you know, I was showing symptoms of my body coming apart from the time I was about four or five years old. And it took over a year of intense medical testing. A lot of doctors at different medical schools were involved. And they finally figured out, yes, there was something wrong with me. My tendons and ligaments do not hold my joints together. So I would dislocate very easily. And once they found out what was going on, they could come up with a a plan for control, but there's no cure. By this point in my life, where where we are today, I've had uh, close to 40 major orthopedic reconstructions from the top of my spine to the soles of my feet. And so no one wants to be behind me at a metal detector. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you got diagnosed with a serious medical condition here. I believe it's Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Yes. Uh, Yeah, tell us about uh, your medical condition. So Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is actually a composite of different disorders. It all has to do with the connective tissue of the body not working. Some forms of it, it's the vascular system doesn't function, and those types are almost always fatal. I'm blessed in that I don't have that type. I have lost friends to that type of Ehlers-Danlos. But in my type of Ehlers-Danlos, I have what's called uh, the hypermobility type, where my tendons and ligaments no longer function or they eventually wear out. And so my joints dislocate chronically and my wrist dislocated so much, they just dangle, they wouldn't stay in place. So I have stainless steel plates that run down my arms into my hands that hold my hands on. I have joint fusions all over my body. And so the way we describe it very simplistically is every joint in my body, every tendon and ligament in my body was born 
with X number of movements in it. I don't know what those movements are. No one knows how many movements those are, and it's different for every tendon and ligament. Every movement that I make in life is a withdrawal from this bank, and at this point, there is no way to make any deposits. So I never know when I open a door if that's the last time I'll be able to use my fingers to open a door or if I pick up a fork, is that going to be the last time I can use my fingers the way I have been? So it's caused a complete mindset of what actions are worth it and what are not. Wow. So I might choose to play the piano knowing that I'm making withdrawals, but I might say that is worth it to me to be able to play the piano knowing that down the road, I won't be able to. So every movement, every decision that we make in our life is circles around, are the, is, it, is it worth what we're going to do? Yeah. Um, wow. So that's how we, we manage my physical condition. Is it worth what the cost will be? Wow. And up to this point, uh, you've stated you've had nearly three dozen uh, major surgeries done to hold your body yes. together. Yes. As of today, it's 39. 39. Um, so it, along the way, I lost the ability to walk. I lost the use of my legs for a while because it's really not good when the spine starts to come apart. But uh, we've been blessed to find a phenomenal team of physicians. And it really does take a team who, who they restored through surgery. They were able to give me the use of my legs back. We, Richard and I have faced some very, some very interesting things that we never imagined. I don't think people ever imagine waking up one day and finding oneself paralyzed, but it's very real. It happens. And we just have to deal with what's put in front of us moment by moment. Wow. Now this started uh, really coming on in your college years, I believe. So when did you meet your current husband, Richard Howell? <laughs> well, I laugh because my medical condition, I was actually in graduate school when it reached a critical mass, and I, I had to step out of graduate school for a while to, in order to undergo some surgeries. And I had been pursuing one career path, and at the time, it looked like that door was closed, and I walked into my church to counsel with some older women who were very wise, and I walked in the door, and they were busy setting up for Southern Evangelical Seminary, which was birthed in my home church in Charlotte, North Carolina, 30-some years ago. And they said, Rebecca, let's pray with you. We'll pray for what the Lord wants you to be doing next in life. But in the meanwhile, let's get to work here and let's get this seminary off the ground. And so I started working at Southern Evangelical Seminary before the doors were open for students and ended up staying there for quite a few years working alongside Dr. Geisler. And when my husband came to work at the seminary, that's where we met. So he fully knew your condition and the situation. And tell us about, you know, the decision that he made to spend the rest of his life with you, knowing there will be huge sacrifices that need to be made. Right. So Richard has been gifted with an amazing sense of amazing sense of humor. And then he soon after we met and we started talking and became best friends he just intuitively picked up on certain things that I could or couldn't or should and shouldn't do. So he immediately said, this is a small, just a pericope of what our life is like. He said, you know what? If we go through a buffet line to eat somewhere, you shouldn't be holding your plate because that was a withdrawal from your movement in your arms. 
So I need to hold that plate for you. And he just intuitively knew that without me having to ask for help. And based on that, that led to some very deep discussions early on about what I could and couldn't do, what things would and would not be possible in life. And then if we were to decide to get married, what things would be possible and not possible. And so he, I mean, eyes wide open, he knew exactly what he was getting to the best of our knowledge at that point in time. I will say we never imagined the morning I woke up and I couldn't move my legs. That we never talked about that because we never imagined that, but we dealt with it just the way we've dealt with every everything along the way. Yeah, well, tell us uh, some of the uh, sacrifices that you know Richard has had to make, or you both have had to make over the years that you knew you were going to make as you know you entered into your marriage. So one of the big one of the big things that we had to discuss early on was children. It is not safe for people with my condition to become pregnant for various reasons. And so that was a decision we had to make before we got married. We had to have that hard decision. Some people don't have a choice. We had a choice and we had to make that decision. We've had to make decisions of living where I can get medical care. That rules out some places long-term. We certainly, uh, we travel, we travel around the world. We, that's very important to us. But in terms of long-term living, could we commit to living for 50 years in a place without medical care, that would be a really, really tough thing for us because I do require a lot of medical care. And so we live near our doctors and my, my extended medical team. Also, the style of house we live in, is it a house that I can get by in? Is it handicap accessible? I'm not in a wheelchair now. I walk, I walk with crutches. Uh, and I'm very, very grateful for those crutches because for seven years before I could walk with the crutches. I had to use a walker and the crutches are so much better than a walker. So just little, little things day by day. Yeah. We use, we don't use ceramic dishes or glass dishes in our house. We use plasticware because it's lighter or paperware because it's lighter and it won't have the wear and tear on my joints. So grocery shopping, Richard has to do all the grocery shopping because I have a limit. I can't lift anything more than five pounds mm. and I can't carry anything. So he does all the grocery shopping. He has to do all the laundry in the house because I can't pick something up off the floor or bend to put something into a washer or dryer. So these are things that we now just take for granted, but these are big decisions that we had to decide, is this going to work? And not every person can live with those constraints or not everyone chooses to make those decisions to live with those constraints. Yeah. yeah I'm exceedingly wow. blessed by that. And even the vehicle that, that I drive has to be something I can get in and out of without bending my spine. I have a lot of metal in my spine. So it's not so much what type of car does one want to drive. It's functionally what car can I get in and out of. And so those are just little things that we live our life around. Wow. Now, question we're looking at here is that, you know, how do you deal with your medical condition and your faith in Christ? I mean, how is that compatible with understanding that we serve a God who is a God of love and yet mm -hmm. who would allow this to occur in your life? Do you have that kind of struggle? And if so, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you wrestle through that? So I may be an anomaly, but I feel incredibly blessed. I feel like God chose me because we know from Psalm 139 
that each and every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, and we're assured that he knew us even before we were born, and he knitted our parts together. And when my parts were knitted together, they might be imperfect from this world's perspective, but they were exactly what God wanted me to have. And I have always felt special. Now, my siblings tell me I am special, and they might mean it in a different way. <laughs> but I have always felt incredibly blessed that God allowed me to, to go through what I'm going through. And I have never had a moment of bitterness or anger towards the Lord. That doesn't mean I haven't been frustrated in my situation. There are certain activities I can't do. There are ladies at my church that when Richard is traveling, the ladies know they have to help me get dressed because I can't do everything on my own. And so there are days those types of things can be frustrating, but I've never been angry at God. I'm very, very grateful that he chose me. And my family, once my family just grew up, my siblings grew up knowing that I was special, but they didn't resent that. They just accepted, okay, we have to make accommodations. Rebecca can't do everything but she can do some things. I was never put on a put in bubble wrap and left safe and secure. It's like, no, I'm going to live life. I'm going to participate in life to its fullest. Whatever that fullest is for me, I'm going to do it. And I still do that today. So I was never angry at God. I was grateful to God for that. Not having any idea that years down the road where I am now, this would become such an incredible door opener for me to witness and minister to the medical community. Another thing that allows me to do is with my situation, I can connect with people that others can't. So case in point, I have a lot of surgeries. I'm seeing the surgeons over and over again, and I'm in the operating rooms multiple times a year. I get to develop a relationship with everyone in the operating room from the surgeon to the technicians, to the nurses, to the anesthetist, everyone who's in there. And I've gotten to know them. They know me well. They've seen me through some tough stuff. Some things are easier to go through than others, and some are really hard. They've seen me crying. They've seen me on great days. But they've gotten to know me, and we've developed a relationship so that some nurses will say, hey, will you pray for me for this? And then when I see them a few months later, I can say, how is, how is your nephew doing? How is your daughter doing? How is your husband doing? And we've developed a relationship and they've been able to see that life is not a disease or a condition or a syndrome. It's about much more than that. And I think that's a very important message because everyone is going through something. Mine happens to be very obvious because I walk with crutches. Everyone can see something's going on. Now, I happen to think I have the coolest crutches around because <laughs> my crutches, I have nine different colors of crutches. So when I'm at home, I can color coordinate my crutches with my outfits. And the kids at church love to see what color crutches I'm going to wear to church any given Sunday. <laughs> so I can have fun with it. But I had one guy in Atlanta, where we live, come up to me on the subway one day. And he said, ma'am, I just have to ask you, I need to ask you about your condition. And where can I find crutches like that? I think they would help my grandmother. And I looked at him and he said, the only reason I felt I could come up and talk to you about this is because you're standing on a subway platform in Atlanta with hot pink crutches. And if you <laughs> didn't want to talk about it, you wouldn't have hot pink crutches. And I just had a silent, you know, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And I was able to talk to him and tell him where he could get the crutches for his grandmother. But those are the types of doors that, that 
I find often, and I actually think a lot of us have the opportunity if we would open our eyes to those opportunities. But that's where God has used me most is in these medical settings that not everyone has access to. I recently had a surgeon, he had someone visiting with him who was making rounds with him, and he just started talking to this person and then said, hey, Rebecca has had such and such a surgery, and she's here for a post-op visit. And he goes, but she hasn't complained about it this whole time. And then he turned around and he looked to me and to Richard and he said, where do you guys go to church? Mm. And this was just out of the blue. And somehow my not complaining to him had had him, he just leaped from there to where do you go to church? And so this is an amazing springboard that, that we have that has just been, we're, we're so grateful for it. Yeah. You know, I want, I want to talk to you about, you know, what you said that God has designed each one of us according mm-hmm. to his will. And you are able to more than accept, seem embrace the way in which you were born and the infirmities that you were born with as from God. Mm-hmm. Explain that uh, to us a little bit. A lot of us, you know, I see that, you know, I'm looking at it and I see it as a curse or the fall, but, but you're seeing it more as uh, something from God and, and something that you embrace. You know, it's a whole different perspective that many of yes. us don't have. Uh, tell us about that a little bit. I mean, how how did you come to that understanding? I think I had to be more mature before I could put words how I had grown up. But I did not grow up in a home where everyone got a trophy. Everyone, you know, you had to work hard. You, everyone worked hard. And my family, I'm so grateful to my family. They made accommodations for what I needed physically but I was never treated any differently. And I was never given any reason to believe I was any more special than anyone else. And, and I appreciate that. And my mother, we were having a conversation some time ago and she said, your personality when you were, when you were a toddler was just one of stubborn, I'm going to fight through this. And my mother said at that point, Lord, you must have something planned for her to have such a fighting spirit to push so hard for things. And then fast forward 30, 40 or more years. And when my mom and I were having this conversation and she said, she's so grateful that she was able to see that fighting spirit from the time I was an infant, never knowing that I was going to need that for the rest of my life in the medical field, fighting to get the medical treatment that I needed. Because one of the things that I have done and I've refused, I've refused to become my disorder I'm a person, I happen to have something funky going on with me, but that's not who I am. And I fight to get the medical treatment that will allow me to continue to live as normal a life as possible. I refuse to sit on a couch and be a couch potato. I just refuse to do that. I'm not going to give up on life. So I think it was just my family instilled a very healthy attitude. And I always knew that there were no surprises to God. He knew exactly what was going to happen. So if he knew what was going to happen, then this wasn't a bad thing. It could be, I could turn it into a bad thing and others could turn it into a bad thing, but God could use it for his, for his glory, absolutely for his glory. And some years ago, quite a few decades ago, one of pastor of the church where I was at the time, we were in a, a Wednesday evening prayer meeting, and he was reading a verse, and he looked over at me in the prayer meeting, and he said, Rebecca, I bet this verse means a lot to you. 
and he read First Peter 5.10, which has become one of my favorite verses. And, you know, in First Peter 5, it's talking about how the elders are supposed to behave and, and how people are, you know, how we're supposed to be in service to each other. And then First Peter 5.10, it says, but the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Our time for today has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Would you or your church be interested in having Pat speak or host an apologetics conference? Just give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And while you're there on our website, take a look around. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, you can find a link to donate on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Zucran.